these trips with families, trying to solve mysteries, trying to see symbolism, trying to, I don't know, figure out what that weird monument is all about. I will never, till the day I die, want to stop learning. It's what gets me up in the morning. And when you have things to look forward to, like history will always be there, there's always a way to find out what happened. It might take you a while, but that, that also gets me up in the morning. I'm just like, yes, I'm going to find this out. I'm going to solve this. Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? October is ADHD Awareness Month, so I want to make you aware of a few things. First, the Parenting ADHD Summit begins this coming Monday, October 19th, and it runs through Thursday, October 22nd. And on the 22nd, I will be presenting Navigating Virtual School with Learning Challenges. I'm sure the entire summit will be incredibly helpful for you. Check out the link in the show notes to register and learn more about it. And of course, I also want to make you aware of our partner podcasts. In the latest episode of ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, Eric and I do his monthly Q&A with all sorts of fascinating topics being discussed. And in Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb, the latest episode is inspired by a listener's question, and Will discusses writing past the hard parts. Finally, I'd like to make you aware of the upcoming International Conference on ADHD. It's virtual this year, unsurprisingly, so this is a great time to attend. You don't have to go anywhere, and the tickets are cheaper than usual. The workshops and presentations are always fascinating and varied at this conference. Everything from parenting and lifestyle skills and tips, to academic research, and even the occasional random topic. In fact, this year, I'm one of those random topics. I'll be discussing how to use Dungeons and Dragons and similar role-playing games to help improve executive function and social-emotional skills. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more about it. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to my friend, Veronica Ditko. Veronica is the author of A Rock-Solid History of Hawthorne, New Jersey. In today's episode, Veronica and I discuss the fascinating mysteries of history that can be found in our own backyard. We talk about how watching her kids play in the park led her to get curious about the rocks in her town, and how that led to her learning more about her town's history. We also discuss how we can use her experience to encourage our kids' curiosity and find fascinating, family-friendly adventures to get us out of the house and keep us entertained during the COVID-19 pandemic. This one's a little different and maybe a bit random compared to what we usually do on this show, but I'm sure you'll enjoy it and find inspiration on ways to spend quality time with your kids. All right, let's get rolling. 
I'm Veronica McDonald Ditko. I wrote a rock solid history of Hawthorne, New Jersey. It was based on a lot of observations I made with my own kids, kind of how they could learn about history in an interesting way. What is it? Like, kind of walk us through a, a little bit about the book because is it just rocks? <laughs> uh, no, no. So, basically, through the ages, I tell the history through rocks that are still there that you can go visit and see, uh, whether it's a rock in the park. We have, we have a park here that has ice age glacial rocks that were moved literally by the glaciers. We have old buildings here, which I would think in most parts of the country, they exist uh, that are made of stone. Um, there are very old cemeteries here that also tell uh, a somewhat sad history uh, for instance, we have an old Jewish cemetery where most of the people were buried during the diphtheria and the flu epidemic of mm -hmm. 1918. Diphtheria was, I think, 1917. It was around the same time, which most people don't talk about. I found that interesting. Probably especially now they don't want to talk about that. But uh, sometimes you live through a pandemic 100 years after the last one hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And I'm glad you have me on here because as we continue with this kind of alternate reality, I have seen people making reading more important to them again. They have more time for it. They have more interest in doing it. That's my take. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's kind of my hope here too, right? Is that maybe some people will order this book, they'll enjoy it, and hopefully it motivates some parents who are trying to figure out what to do with their kids maybe the rocks of your town tell a tale that you can sort of follow and learn about and and i love that you're going everywhere from glacial boulders to the stones being used to make the various buildings around the town to gravestones there's arrowheads and things like that in the book as well that you're talking about yeah and i i just think it's an awesome idea as a thing to do with your kids that's educational and like a project-based learning kind of approach to the world. A lot of my friends have told me after reading this, and they don't even live in New Jersey, but it kind of changes your reality that history is literally around you all the time. You just have to kind of look for it and be open to seeing it. A little bit of a tangent, but that reminds me of stuff I've talked to kids about around jobs. Kids like in middle school, high school, that are like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what jobs exist. Da, da, da. And I'm like, see that thing? That thing is a job. I don't care what the thing is. Like someone designed it, someone made it, someone sold it, someone marketed it, someone like engineered it, someone painted it. Like it doesn't matter. Someone that's like, there's like 15 jobs in every item that we look at. And there's a whole wealth of history in every item that we look at as well. We just have to get curious about what's hiding inside. Curiousness has gotten the better of me. Have you ever seen the movie Veronica Guerin? She was an Irish reporter. I think it's funny that we have the same first name and she was a real person. There's a fine line there where you can smell when something doesn't seem right as a reporter, but you have to question yourself how deep you're willing to go. Are you willing to risk your life? Are you not? Mm -hmm. um, these are real things that, that happen. And I still have tremendous respect for journalists. I know that they've been sort of dragged through the mud on and off. Yeah. It's not an easy job. Yeah. 
I, I don't it, know if I want to talk that out. <laughs> no, that's okay. And and that's sort of the curiosity part for you though is your your curiosity has led you to be a, to being a journalist to writing this book. And from what you were telling me before we started to record, your kids also led you to writing this book. That you were sort of observing them and your curiosity about what they were doing sent you towards this book. Can you walk us through that? So a dear friend of mine, she has now passed. Uh, she was around my kids a lot when they were little, when they were toddlers. And she pointed out to me that they put everything in their mouths. And she told me that after she took some child's development class, that it actually has a lot to do with how they learn about their environment. It is actually a learning process. So I kind of watched my kids always playing with rocks a lot in the dirt, but I realized there was this connection. They always, you know, we would go to a park, they'd want to climb up, up on the rock and say, oh, I'm the king of the castle. You know, rocks are always around us. And I think kids in particular are drawn to them because maybe it's something out of the ordinary that they don't see every day, or it's just something that they can touch and feel and learn from. At that time, when I had small children, I was off, my writing career had gone through different stages. And I forgot to mention this. Um, do you remember Jill Carroll? She was in our class in college. She became a famous journalist, mostly because she was kidnapped in Iran. Do you remember oh, wow. This? Do you remember I don't know. So this was somewhere around 2004, 2005. And it just totally flipped my view. I was like, holy, how did she, she started writing for the Christian Science Monitor. I'm like, how, how? <laughs> I knew her. I, you know, I would say we were pretty much at the same skill level. Um, I was really impressed with how far she had taken her journalism. And here I was writing about stuff I didn't care about. So I made that decision around that time that I would refocus my career to write about history. And I had already done a lot of features writing. So it, it kind of, you know, it's like those stories you want to read, the warm, fuzzy stories. Mm -hmm. So combining the two, like drawing people into this, I started identifying local questions that people never knew the answer to, local mysteries. I, I put the two together. I know I'm not saying this very well, but I started thinking, you know, hey, I can write about local history. And I see how my kid is absorbing the world around him. And these two things can come together, especially for children. I don't know educational terms that well, but I call it tactile learning. I don't know. I think tactile is more like you have blocks of numbers and you're learning about math that way. But but there is something about touching and seeing it that it, it stays in your head longer for, for a lot of children. So it sounds like Jill Carroll's kidnapping sort of moved you to refocus on your writing and what you wanted to do with it. Yeah. And then also having kids and, and maybe being less interested in going to Afghanistan and risking getting kidnapped because you've got kids. <laughs> Yeah, well, now, yes, now. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you to focus kind of closer to home and, and look, at, look at some local mysteries and, and intrigues. Are we talking mysteries like crime stuff or mysteries like what's going on with this thing in the woods? 
not crime stuff, even though I'm like really interested in that. But no, it's more like there's this old broken down hut that has been here forever and nobody knows what it's about. Mm-hmm. So I, I grew up in Long Branch, New Jersey, and there is a little lake there. And the middle of it is a stone structure. It's like this open air cabin, all made of stone. Really cool. Um, on my friend's 10th birthday, we took a little, like a little blow up boat over to it. That was her birthday present, the boat. Um, and we realized, of course, <laughs> the, the pond was only like two feet deep. Cause like we sat in this thing and we were like on the bottom of the pond. But anyway, we were like <laughs> all the way to the Island. Like it wasn't yes. that deep. You could have walked there. <laughs> right. Totally. We totally could have. Um, and we ripped a nice big hole, but she had a patch. I always thought that was so cool. Um, so we get there and I, it had like a fireplace, like a two sided fireplace. It, it was like two rooms. Mm-hmm. but it was open to the outside too. There's an article uh, floating around on the internet it's, that I wrote. I'm trying to think what was it called. It was like a highlight of my career to write for this. Weird New Jersey. And this particular hut had been part of, of this beautiful estate. And there was actually, we found, I found old postcards. There was a bridge to it too. So anyway, when I wrote this article about it and it became sort of the, the child of the local environmental group and the local history, historical society. And they have restored this beautiful, amazing, I mean, it was built probably around 1900 and they're going to make it a place where people can actually go and take a boat there and visit as like a recreational thing. And I'm very proud of that because it was just based on me being ridiculously curious since I was 10 years old. Like, what is this? This is the Ross Island ruins. This is, yes, yes. I found the the article and we'll link to it in the show notes. Oh, that was amazing. And do you know, like I kept at it for many months trying to crack the mystery. Mm -hmm. And what ended up cracking the mystery was an old postcard that called it Ross Lake. Now, I had never known it called as Ross Lake. I was like, what is this Ross name? And that's what led me to find out that P. Stanford Ross was the owner of this magnificent property and he had this huge family and everything made sense because all the roads around there were named after his kids. And oh, it was cool. just like, like <laughs> my brain exploded. Because now it's Takanasi Lake, right? Yeah. And Be careful how you say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in the it's all in the article. I hope I got it right. Yeah, you um, did. You did. <laughs> but that's like for the for the parents who are listening, I, I want to kind of zoom out for a second. And because if you're looking for something to do with your kids and you're trying to find something that may engage them, these kinds of mystery locations can potentially do that if that's if your kid is inclined to be interested in this kind of stuff. And already we're getting a couple of clues about how to how to do this research. One is there's all kinds of websites out there that give you ideas about what's going on in your state. So this can help mom and dad find a place to go looking. And it can also help mom and dad and the kid research the place that they already found depending. So weird New Jersey is there. I'm pretty sure there's a weird Massachusetts. There's probably like a weird North Carolina and a weird Nevada and stuff. I would imagine every state's got something similar, if not actually those terms. 
but there's also websites like only in your state and Atlas Obscura. Oh yeah. That can help give you a little bit of a jump start. The other thing I'm noticing and, and that's jumping out to me as you're talking is place names. Yeah. The names of roads, the names of lakes, the names of a square. Those might give you a hint about what's happening. Absolutely. And cracking a mystery is half the fun. Every town has a monument of some kind. And some of them don't give too much information, including in my town. Um, yeah, I had to do a lot of other research to find out more about it. Or an old building, like the, the Jewish cemetery I mentioned. Um, it was the people who lived around it who gave me information after I couldn't. They, they gave me the name of the caretaker because this, this temple that was in Patterson, New Jersey, I mean, it doesn't exist anymore, but it, it's part of the Jewish tradition to basically have a trust in place to always care for the people who have passed before you. Until the end of time, hopefully, this cemetery will be taken care of. But I did end up talking to people whose you know, grandfather or grandmother was buried there. So they knew a little bit about the history. And they could also help me with, there was some Yiddish like on the stones, which I, you know, my mom is Swiss, so I know a little German, but Yiddish is a whole, that's a mixture of German and Hebrew and, and a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. That was, that was fascinating. Like, it's still fascinating to go to the cemetery because there's also a lot of symbolism. The shapes of cemetery stones tell a whole story that you, you can tell just by looking at it. If you know the code, if you know what the shapes of the cemetery stones mean, and that's another thing to research and to learn about. That information is out there. In fact, the place that I learned about what those meant, it was, it was from a college in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And I'll have to send it to you. I don't know. I don't know how crazy people are going to go over this, but this stuff makes me <laughs> so excited. You know? How much of that has rubbed off on your kids? <laughs> I would say half and half. I have two children. One of them is like a little history professor. And the other one, you know, we went to Williamsburg last summer and he could not wait to get out of there. Like literally, he could he was like, went to lunch, you know, like it just, it meant nothing to him <laughs> at all. So we didn't stay very long. And then on my own down there, I went to um, Jamestown and wow, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's an amazing place. If you're into history and rocks and archeology, span they, they did a lot of stuff. I didn't realize that in 2019, there was an anniversary of some kind happening there. So they had done a lot of archaeological research right before I got there. I thought they had known this stuff for years, but I was, I was the benefactor of all this recent digging and analyzing that they had done. I mean, amazing, amazing. That's cool. Yeah. The sort of coded language, I want to I circle back to that if I can. Sort of the coded language of graveyards and gravestones and what does that all mean? That makes sense to me. I hadn't even thought of it. But now you saying that, I'm like, oh, that's like statues, right? Because statues are full of coded language. And I'm going to get this wrong. But there's, an, there's, a, um, there's a piece of like soldiers mounted on horses. And it's like if the right leg is up, they died in battle. If the right leg of the horse is up or something like that, I'm probably wrong. But there's a code in the posture of the horse to indicate like 
whether the person died in battle and what sort of like role they played as a military leader. There's a lot of symbolism happening in a, all over the place that, and you don't have to be Dan Brown to learn it. No. You can just go looking up symbolism of gravestones or symbolism of statues or symbolism of anything else that's man-made and bring your kids around with this symbolism, go wherever those things are. And all of a sudden there's this whole new lens and this whole new sort of like cipher and secret code that you can crack. So if you've got kids that like secret codes, symbolism is a secret code and it's a way to get them hooked on going to graveyards. There's so much information there. Like I'm sure you've seen the stones where it's like a tree trunk chopped in half. Have you seen that? Yeah. And that goes back along like that symbolism. So that's a life cut short. That's somebody who died before their time. They, they, even in those days, you know, they died too young. Even you mentioning like the influenza of, of 1918. My wife does this all the time. When we, I shouldn't say all the time, but when we, uh, when Pokemon Go was a big deal, we spent a lot of time in cemeteries because that was where you found some of the best Pokemon. And my wife would just be like, what happened in 1938? My boys and I are like, what are you talking about? Like, they're, look, it's a Pikachu. And, and she's like, everybody died in 1938. Like, there's something going on in 1938. What happened? She's pulling on her phone and she's not looking at Pokemon anymore. She's looking up what kind of crisis happened in 1938 in that area. And sure enough, there's some like disease that was widespread or, I mean, she's also doing stuff like a lot of these people served in the war or affected by the war because everyone's dying in like the forties or whatever. Yeah. Those born on and and died on dates can also send us into history. While you were talking, I was reminded my kids have been taking some virtual classes this summer and one was a history class. It's called something like weird, not something like weird history. Um, are you aware of the molasses flood in Boston? Yeah. I never heard of this. Yeah. I have to look this up myself. My listeners know I play role-playing games, so I'm going to go full geek on this one. Um, I once ran a role-playing game that my players are all superheroes based in Boston. Like that was their deal. I had them start in the middle of already being a superhero team. So I wrote like paragraph long at the most, probably three sentences I wrote like 38 back issue stories to establish the storyline of the superhero team that they were on. And the first issue that I made for them was that they were called the Bay State Squadron. And they uh, got together as a team because a great molasses monster came up out of the big dig in Boston because this is based in reality. When they did the big dig in Boston, they found all of this like petrified molasses from the great molasses flood in Boston. Amazing. And people died in the Great Molasses Flood. So my story in this imaginary world that I made was that like all the people who died were like haunting the molasses and their spirits had been disturbed by the big dig. And now there's a molasses monster attacking Boston. Because that's a comic thing. That seems like a deal that should happen. But yeah, so I'm familiar with the Great Molasses Flood of, in Boston. And it, uh, one of the things that happened as a result of the big dig is it doesn't smell like molasses in Boston in the summer anymore because the molasses got everywhere and seeped into the ground through cracks in the roads and stuff. And when it got really hot in the summer, you could smell molasses in various places in Boston where the flood happened because it was still there. 
when they dug it all out for the big dig, now it doesn't smell like molasses anymore. That's the level of weird that the great molasses flood is. Wow. My head is literally exploding right now. <laughs> it sounds like a book, B. Oh, but I was going to mention something. Yes, these trips with families trying to solve mysteries, trying to see symbolism, trying to, I don't know, figure out what that weird monument is all about. I will never, till the day I die, want to stop learning. It's what gets me up in the morning. And when you have things to look forward to, like history will always be there. There's always a way to find out what happened. It might take you a while, but that, that also gets me up in the morning. I'm just like, yes, I'm going to find this out. I'm going to solve this. And I know because I work with parents that a lot of kids are struggling with what to do with themselves and parents are struggling with what to do with their kids and themselves. And this weird history stuff, this sort of like, just poke around and see what you find can help you get going. Whether it's researching the origins of a, an abandoned building in the middle of a lake or just in the woods or wherever it happens to be. Or if you're not super interested in doing a lot of research into that history, do a little bit and then write a story about it. You know, like yeah. I learned a little bit about the Boston molasses flood. And then I wrote this whole wackadoodle superhero story about it. And that's another way to hook your kids. If your kids are more on the creative side than they are on the digging around and, and being curious and learning stuff side, maybe you kind of get them to learn just enough so that they can write the story, have them have some historical pieces to hang their, to hang their tail on so that it feels a little more anchored potentially. Right. And you might think that the history of the native Americans, which is very long, I mean, it's, it's longer than even the European history in this country. You may think those vestiges are gone and you can only see it in the spears or projectile points, people call them, because they're not always arrowheads. Well, here, next door in Farallon, New Jersey, there is this structure in the river, the Passaic River, that when it's dry, and I think, you know, I think it's been dry lately, you can see it. It's a fishing weir. So it's this wall built across the, the, and there's not just one, there's something like 10 or 12 of them consecutively down mm -hmm. the river, but it's hard to get to. But one of them you can see very clearly from a bridge, and that's how they caught fish. Boston Common, because I'm in Boston, has a fishing weir. Boston used to be flooded, right? A lot of Boston used to be oceanfront property, basically. They've, they filled it in with landfill and stuff. But there's a fishing weir. I think it was like seven or eight years ago. I might be wrong. It might be more like 15. Time is weird. I have ADHD. But they did some excavation in Boston. I think they were building a parking garage, and that was how they found it. And then sure enough, there's this fishing weir in there. Those discoveries are amazing, and they're really, it's a really compelling way to, to get your kids, hopefully, or at least yourself, learning a little more about where you live. And in playing with that, one of the resources that I would probably turn to first would be my local historical society. Mm -hmm. And I know that you're on the board of your local historical society. I am. So <laughs> is that like the go-to place? Am I relying too heavily on it? Cause I know it's probably mostly people who volunteer and don't have a ton of time, but what is, what does that look like as a resource? As a resource, it's a lot of anecdotal history. The stories that, they heard their parents say that that they remember as kids there is a value to that it's not all 
made up. There are a lot of truths in that. Um, I mean, my historical society is a little more relaxed than some, so we sit around and just talk about the old days, you know, even though I didn't grow up in this part of New Jersey, but I love hearing about it because I'm picturing in my head the way things used to look. There, there wasn't as much development or housing, you know. We have this long park coming through. It's about a mile and a half long and has a brook through it. There was like a pond at the southern end of it where people used to go fishing. That's where kids were in the summer. And now it's, it's a, a football and soccer turf field. <laughs> but like, I like to just go there and imagine. So another thing about that, this whole park used to be farmland and some streets that were bought to make the park. This was during the depression. It was a works progress administration type thing to get people work during the depression. And I just love to go there and try to picture this is where kids fled now. There were trails where horses could go. I mean, there used to be horse farms here. I mean, just, it's very suburban now. It's, you know, we, we are a suburb of New York city. So not like that anymore. It sounds like sort of the secret history, I guess, of your book is that there's a secret history to Hawthorne, New Jersey, and you can find it by looking at the rock solid history of Hawthorne, New Jersey. And that's probably true for most people's towns. Like if, if you go and learn some of the stories and find some of the mysteries, there's a tale in there somewhere. There's a story in there somewhere that the more you learn about it, the more of a, of a tapestry it paints for the area where you live or for a certain period of time, depending on how you're, how you're doing it. There's stories everywhere. I mean, this is, this, that was the great thing about being a journalist. I, I work for a trade magazine now, so it's not quite the same kind of journalism as newspaper journalism. Mm -hmm. But that was just the joy of getting up in the morning. It's like, well, what stories around me today? What can I find? And all of our kids who are so bored and all of our parents who don't know what to do with them, this is a way to find some stuff to do with your kids and to help them get curious. And for parents out there who are homeschooling, maybe this is an angle to help them engage with history or geology and also English and math and science potentially in a new way. It just requires a little bit of curiosity and, and a little bit of imagination to get us into some new areas. So I, I'm really glad that you agreed to come on and I'm really glad that you sent us in this like unique direction that, that hopefully provides some, some project ideas for parents out there. And having said all of that, just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? This concept of a rock solid history is going to be expanded. It, um, I know Hawthorne is a very tiny town <laughs> in a tiny state actually. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to bring this idea to parks, and I hope if you want to see what I'm up to or I do other articles, historical articles on the side, I hope you can follow me at Author Ditko on Facebook or Instagram. Um, that's a great way you can contact me through there as well. If you are somewhere in the New York, New Jersey area and you're hearing this podcast, I also give talks to both adults and kids about weird local history things that actually span the world. One about a princess uh, that has a connection to Patterson, New Jersey. It's, it's the craziest a French princess. It's crazy. 
again, thank you for having me on. I know it's a little out of your normal way of talking about things and, and topics, but I know kids get a lot out of not only being outside, but having interest and a connection to what they're seeing and learning about. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.